Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about the faithfulness of God and about the promises that God makes. And I want to continue in this theme, and I want to talk today about what happens when we recognize that we ourselves are included in his promises and we take it personally, how it shapes us, how it affects even our sense of identity, and how we can also be renewed in our vision for other people, recognizing the good work that God is doing in them and all that he wants to accomplish in them. And so this morning, I want to take a look at the life of Jacob and some of the transformations he went through. Our Torah portion this week that I want to read from starts in Genesis 28, verse 10. So you can prepare to turn there. But as you're turning there, I want to, I want to set the stage. There are some details about Jacob and Esau that are important for us to remember as we're about to read this passage. The first detail is expressed in Genesis 25, when their mother is having such a difficult pregnancy that she can't imagine she's gonna survive. And something, something terrible seems to be going on in the womb. So she's praying and the Lord gives a word to her. And this is the word, there are two nations in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So there's this prophetic word of explanation that there's conflict going on inside the womb before birth. It's going to be manifest later, but there is a resolution that's gonna be a surprising one, and that is that the older one will not have the primary position. The older one will be in service to the younger one. That helps us understand who is Jacob and who is Esau. And then in Malachi chapter one, there is a prophetic word of explanation. The Lord says, this is how I showed my love for you. I loved your ancestor Jacob, but I rejected his brother Esau. This is a hard word because we like to think that everyone starts out life on equal footing. And yet God chooses some for one purpose and some for another. And he knows from eternity some of the things that you've been called to and some of your distinctions. And in the case of Jacob, he knew that Jacob would be the one who carried forth the covenant that had been started with Abraham and continued with Isaac, and now would move forward to Jacob, and it wouldn't end there, it would go to all of Jacob's sons, and it would go beyond to all the children of Israel. There's some conflict in how to understand Jacob because of his name. His name often is translated uh, cheat or supplanter, the one who grabs at the heel. But there's a more simple meaning, and I think a pure meaning of his name, Yaakov, which is simply at the heel. And it's not a negative, it's just a descriptive. 
It doesn't carry with it the tone of anything um, having to do with the usurper. In fact, the name Jacob became a beloved name rather than a, a despised name. If he was a cheat and a deceiver, we could not understand why Yeshua's brother was named Yaakov, because he was nothing of the sort. But he did come at the heel, if you will, of Yeshua. He came after Yeshua, and he carried on and was one of the great leaders of the Messianic community in Jerusalem and thus in the whole world. So we can see something, and, and that is that that Jacob is second coming out of the womb and he's grabbing the heel of his brother, but the Lord knows what's going on. And the Lord knows that the character of Jacob is strong and will persevere. And that Esau is impulsive and emotional and, and doesn't pay attention to the things that are of ultimate importance. The Lord knows that Esau has certain qualities but he's not called or fit to be a covenant-bearing son. Some people would object and say, anyone who takes the place of the firstborn uh, is a usurper, but remember, Isaac wasn't firstborn to Abraham. Firstborn to Sarah, yes, but not to Abraham. Ishmael was. But Isaac was the son of the promise, the son of the covenant. He wasn't a supplanter. And you remember also that that Jacob comes forward with a call from God, not a call from his parents. It is true that his mother loved Jacob more and his father loved Esau more, but it's not simply a matter of who played favorites. There was a calling on God. And we have to ask ourselves the question, does God have a right to choose? Does God have a right to call? Does he have a right to make distinction between one and another? The, the scripture says that he does. And in fact, because he does, he is able to express love. Now Hebrews chapter 11 makes a commentary that I want to underline for you. It's a way of understanding what happened when Isaac gave the blessing of the firstborn to Jacob, that it wasn't a mistake. Even though afterwards Isaac said he was tricked, and even though Esau said Jacob was a supplanter, the fact is Esau gave up his birthright. He not only sold it, in reality he renounced it. And by vow he gave it to his brother. And the Lord knew this kind of thing would be at work because Esau was impulsive and didn't value the things that were most important. He didn't, he didn't think of it as a worthy thing in his own eyes. But Hebrews 11 makes this commentary by faith. Say this with me, by faith. By faith. Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. Oh, that's not the one that I wanted to give to you. That's for later. It's another one that says, by faith, Jacob blessed both of his sons, Jacob and Esau. By faith, Isaac blessed them. This is the danger of adding one more scripture late in the day. I'll give you the correct citation later. Thank you. 
very much, everyone. You'll find out. It's in your Bibles. <laughs> I assure you. But it says, by faith, Isaac blessed his two sons, Jacob and Esau. When we understand this, that, that Isaac was actually moving in faith, but against his own natural emotions and his natural sentiments, he blessed both sons. So it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't by deceit. It was by the purposes of God. And then one more, Romans chapter 9 makes a commentary about, about God's sovereign right to choose. And starting in verse 10, Romans 9 verse 10, this is the continuation of an argument Paul is making. He says, not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac, yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in choosing or in election might stand, not by their works, but by the one who calls, him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. So Paul is agreeing with the sentiments of the writers of Hebrew. He's agreeing with Malachi. He's agreeing with the commentary about what the Lord said to Rebekah. And you see in this the integrity of the scriptures, the wholeness and the consistency of the scriptures. But it's important to grasp that because Jacob is often viewed by people through Esau's eyes, not through God's eyes. And he's treated as a supplanter when he's not really a supplanter, he was chosen. He was chosen by God. And he fulfilled what God called him to do and yet, sometimes people act as if, you know, Jacob is a cheat, Jacob is a deceiver. So to all of you who have Jacob names, I want to congratulate you. You are, you were given a great name. And it's important to know who you are. And don't accept those negatives. Don't accept those, uh, don't accept Esau's commentary about who you are. Find out from God who you are and stick with that. Okay, that's introduction. Let's go to Genesis 28, and we're going to read about this moment after Jacob has obtained the blessing from his father, Isaac, whose eyes are failing and he's dying. And after Esau is so mad at him that he's holding a grudge and he's making plans to kill Jacob, as soon as Isaac dies, Rebekah doesn't want him killed. And so Jacob heads off to the land of Haran in order to get a wife and in order to escape from his own brother. But he's also going out with a question, who am I? Am I what Esau says I am? or am I what God says I am? And this moment that we read about is an answer to that question. Genesis 28, 10, Jacob went out from Beersheba, he traveled toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and he stayed the night there because the sun had set. He took a stone from the place, he put it under his head and he lay down there to sleep. 
he dreamt that there before him was a ladder resting on the ground with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of the Lord were going up and down on this ladder. And then suddenly, the Lord was standing there next to him. Now keep in mind, this suddenly is happening during the dream. So, so Jacob is asleep, but he's also alert. He's asleep physically, but he's awake spiritually. Suddenly the Lord was standing there next to him, and the Lord said, I am Adonai, the God of Avraham your father, the God of Yitzchak. The land on which you are lying I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the grains of dust on the earth. You will expand to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, by you and your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is a profound moment because God is revealing something to Jacob, not to Jacob about who he actually is. He's not what Esau says. He's chosen by God. He's part of God's plan. He's included in the covenant that God made first with his grandfather Abraham and then continued with his father Isaac. And now God is saying, I want to tell you something, you're next in line. So that it will be said the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And the Lord says, I'm promising you, as we'll read shortly. The Lord makes this comment that's extraordinary. He says, by you and your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Do you see how sharply contrasting that is with Esau's commentary? You're a snake, Esau thinks. You're a cheat. You, you are, you're deceitful. You're, you're good for nothing. You deserve to die. You're not a blessing, you're a curse. That's Esau's commentary. So if there are any people in your life who don't like you, they probably are less than Esau's dislike. You can take comfort in this. Oh, these people that don't like me, at least they don't want to kill me. <laughs> ah, such comfort that can bring you. All the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. And then verse 15, the Lord says to Jacob, behold, I'm with you, I'll watch over you. I'll protect you wherever you go. I will bring you back into this land because I won't leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So these are three very personal promises that God makes to Jacob. He promises to be present with Jacob. He promises to be personally present. I will be with you. And he promises to go with Jacob wherever Jacob goes. Remember how extraordinary this is because many people thought gods had limited sovereignty. They were gods over a specific territory and a local territory at that. Maybe some were regional gods or state gods. But the Lord was saying, I am actually the God of heaven. I'm the God of earth. I'm the God everywhere. So wherever you go, I will be with you. 
And not only will I be with you, I'll protect you. And then there's another promise that the Lord makes, and that's to bring Jacob back to this land. These are all very specific and, and very important. God is revealing himself through a dream, but he's revealing himself concretely to Jacob about the reality of his own sovereignty in heaven and on earth. Some people still don't get it. Some believers still don't get it. We think of God sometimes as far away and we think of him as immaterial and, and fully spiritual and invisible and separate and outside of creation. And when that's all we think of God, we don't understand something, God can come down into this earth and he can enter physically into this earth. He can reveal himself in, in ways that are bound by time, even though he's eternal, and in ways that are bound by space and matter, even though he is eternal and he is beyond the material world. He can come into the material world. Jacob wakes up, and imagine if he was... Uh, uh, just a philosopher. He might have said, I had some interesting ideas. Imagine if he were purely psychological in his orientation. He might have said, I had this subconscious process working. Imagine if he was a Jungian psychiatric interpreter. You know, I had an archetypal dream. He, he did not interpret his dream as a dream. He didn't interact with it as if it were simply the result of, of eating uh, too much hummus late at night. Or, you know, I had a falafel pizza before I went to bed. Maybe that's it. Indigestion gave me this nightmare. No. He, he reacted to it as if it had actually happened. And there's a reason. It had actually happened. It happened in the realm of the dream, but it actually happened. And it was a revelation of God. God was revealing himself in a way that was absolutely congruent. Thank you, Sandy. Yesterday, I, I couldn't think of this word, congruent. And Sandy, who knows me better than anybody else, was able to find that word and give it to me. Thank you. My lexicon. The revelation of God in the dream was absolutely congruent with the way God had appeared to the patriarchs at other times, where he physically appeared. And it was congruent with the way that God would appear yet in the future, for instance, when he came down from heaven and stood next to Moses. So in this dream, God is, is not appearing as some, uh, some force, some invisible force, but he's appearing as a persona. He's appearing as, as a personality who's materially present, standing next to. Do you understand that? Those are words. If someone's standing next to me, there are only two places they can be, on my right side or on my left side, right? 
If they're standing behind me, that's a different place. If they're standing in front of me, that's a different place. Now, what if God was just like an ether, not a person in any way, shape, or form? He, can't, he wouldn't stand next to you. He could like infuse the atmosphere. He could be a present cloud or something, but the scripture is telling us that even in the dream that Jacob understood God was standing next to him. And God speaks to him about what's actually happening. He says, the land you're lying on, the land I'm lying on, but I'm asleep. Yes, that land. Maybe it's the bad pillow. It was a rock, not, you know, a down pillow. But it's not a hallucination. It's not a psychological process. It's not a subconscious process. It's something else, it's an experience, it's an encounter with the Lord that the Lord initiates, not Jacob. And so it has a specific place. They are both next to the ladder. It's very concrete in physical detail. And when Jacob awakes, he makes this proclamation, truly the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. The Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Now if you're sitting next to someone I dare say you know they're sitting next to you. Am I right? And imagine what it would be like if you looked and you looked and you looked and there's no one and you look again and there's someone. Awesome, right? Maybe scary. And if it's the Lord sitting next to you, you might want to move. It's like, that is scary. Because he's holy, he's awesome. He's amazing. Jacob says, the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. Now I want you to notice something that God is revealing himself in such a way that, that Jacob is seeing the unity of the universe. He's seeing that it's true there's a spiritual universe and it's true that there's a physical universe, but now he understands something, that God is present in every dimension of this universe, whether it's spiritual or it's physical. Some people think of God as being limited to being in a spiritual realm and that he cannot be in a physical realm. This is not correct. And some people have come up with ideas of gods where the gods are all in the physical realm and they have nothing to do with eternity. That's not correct either. What is correct is that the one true God, the creator of all, who's separate from his creation is able to enter into his creation and to communicate with his creator, his creatures. He's able as the creator to function inside of the material universe that has its own laws of natural science. So that tells us something that the creator of the natural universe is higher than the laws of the natural universe. It's not that there are no laws in the natural universe, it's that God is able to not be limited by those laws. When God makes himself present somewhere, when he came down and he was with Abraham, and he ate with Abraham, did that mean he was nowhere else in the universe? No, it, it doesn't mean that. Because God can be somewhere, and yet he can be everywhere. 
And there's no clearer scripture about that than when God descends on Sinai and stands next to Moses and standing next to Moses, the Lord also passes by at a distance. And the Lord standing next to Moses calls out to the Lord passing by. This is according to Torah. And the Lord says to the Lord, that's why some people like to talk to themselves. Because they say, well, I was made in the image of God and God talks to himself. So God standing next to Moses calls out to God passing by. Two gods, no but more than one manifestation of God because God is able to do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. He can do it. That's the, one of the differences between us and God. Well, the blessings that God promises to Jacob are spiritual and they're material. And they have an impact on Jacob. God is promising to go with him. He's promising to protect him and he's promising to bring him back. Great promises. And Jacob has a response. It's in Genesis 28, starting in verse 20. And if you think of Jacob as being the kind of guy that Esau thinks of him as, then you may misunderstand this passage. And you may think that, that Jacob is trying to strike a deal with the Lord. But the beginning of the verse makes it clear that's not what's going on. It says, then Jacob, what? Made a vow or a promise. He made a promise and a vow to the Lord. So he's not making a deal. This is not the art of the deal. This is not Jacob trying to negotiate something it's not him trying to make a deal like a lot of us try to with God. You know, when you're in trouble and you say, God, if you do this, I'll do that. It, anybody ever try to make one of those deals? Oh, liar. Yeah, you're all a liar. Yeah. Almost all of us are tempted to do that. We promise God something. Now, we don't like to admit it, and sometimes we actually um, are sincere. Lord, honestly, I will do this. But Jacob is making a promise. He's, he's saying to the Lord, I am going to follow you. I've heard who you are. I've seen who you are. I understand who, who you were to my grandfather and to my father and now to me. And in light of that, I want to respond to you. Now, the problem is in the English. The English says, if God will be with me. And the Hebrew for the word that's translated if is the Hebrew word im. Say that with me, im. And most of the time, if is a good translation, but in this case, it's not. There are a few occasions when this word should be understood differently, more like since, or um, seeing that, or in light of the fact, or considering, or if, if, you're, if you like old words, inasmuch as. Inasmuch, God, as you are going to be with me. Inasmuch as you're, you will keep me on the journey that I take. And inasmuch as you will give me food to eat and garments to wear. 
And inasmuch as I will return to my father's house in safety, in light of all of that, you are my God. It's not a deal that has two terms. God, if you do all these things that you say you will do, then afterwards you'll be my God. It's important to grasp this because the nature of trust and the nature of faith is it's not postponed. It's active now. It's alive now. It's expressed now before the things have fully happened, but in light of the absolute integrity of God. It's a dependence on God. And so if your Bible says if, I encourage you to fix your Bible. Now I was reading many of the commentators and almost every commentator I read corrects the translation of if to make it since or in light of or inasmuch or seeing that. And they all say that, Joseph, that Jacob is not negotiating. He is not it's being a mercenary. If you'll give me all these things, then later I will do this. He's not making a deal with God. He's not bargaining with God. He's not expressing doubt or uncertainty. He's believing God. Faith believes God. So the problem is in the translators. And it's not just, Jew, it's not just Christian translators, it's uh, Jewish translators too struggle with this. Because people struggle with Jacob. It's not only Jacob who struggles with people. People struggle with Jacob. And the fact is, God is looking at Jacob who he foreknew. And he said, you, you're the covenant son. You're the one I've chosen. You're the one I'm going to work through. You may have human weakness, no doubt, but it's not according to your weakness or your strength. It's not according to what you've done or haven't yet done. I chose you before you've done anything. On what basis is Jacob called into the covenant? It's on the basis of God's sovereign choosing and God's sovereign right to do that. Now there's one case in English where we use the word if as a way of responding with gladness or gratitude to another person uh, who offers some gift or act of generosity or kindness to us, but it has to be communicated in a special tone. If someone is wanting to do for you more than you think you can receive, it's like, oh, Sometimes we want to, not negotiate, but we want to reciprocate. We want to say, wow, if if you're going to do that, then I want to do this for you. Have you ever been in that position where someone wanted to help you more than you were ready to receive? And out of gratitude, you use that term. Well, if you're going to do that, then then I'm going to do this. I think that could capture the tone that Jacob has because he's filled with awe And he's deeply touched by the promises God has made. And he's saying to the Lord, I know, I know I can trust you. 
and I know who I am now because of you. I'm not who Esau said I was. I'm someone who's called to serve you. And then Genesis 28, 22. This stone which I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Two statements come together. The end of verse 21. The Lord will be my God. The second statement, all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. The Hebrew puts it this way. Of all that you give me, I will tithe a tenth to you. Or I will give a tenth by giving a tenth. The Hebrew emphasizes by... um, The Hebrew emphasizes by repetition. In good English, it's translated surely or diligently. All that you give me, I will absolutely give a tenth to you. You'll notice that Jacob is not limiting this to agricultural blessing or to horticultural blessing. He's not saying, if I have more animals, I'll give you more animals. He's not saying it's about gold or silver. He's saying it's about everything. Of everything that you give me, I will give back to you a tenth. It's an awesome way of responding. It's a way of expressing trusting God spiritually, you will be my God, and trusting in God materially by saying I will give a tenth to you. If, if it were just one tenth of one percent, anybody could do it without trust because you wouldn't miss it. It's just a rounding error. But anybody will notice a tenth of something. And when we say I'm going to trust you, Lord, as my God, and we say, I'm going to thank you, Lord, by trusting you and acknowledging you by giving my tenth, by tithing the tenth, not tithing another number, the Hebrew is absolute, by giving a tenth, by giving a tenth. It's just an awesome way of uniting the material and the spiritual. It's an expression of trust and loyalty that brings it all together. Well, I, I want to encourage you, if, if you're stuck in seeing God out there in the immaterial and the far distance, then it may be difficult for you to understand God is the Lord here in this real world that you're living in. He's the Lord of the life that you live here. And he wants to use you to be a blessing. If you come from Jewish ancestry, you may not have thought about this, but I want to challenge you. As a son or a daughter of Jacob, you're called to be a blessing to all kinds of people. Not just the kinds of people that you decide you want to be a blessing to, but all kinds of people. If you've been joined to the Jewish people through your faith in Messiah, And you're saying, well, I want to walk in the blessings of Abraham. Understand this, the blessings include responsibilities. And you don't have to do everything, but you do have to do your part. All of us are depending on all of us. Each one of us has a part to do. 
And God is calling all of us to do our part. So if the person sitting next to you is at all friendly to you, smile and say, do your part. Do your part. Do your part. Do your part. And if you're willing to say it to the Lord, say, Hineni, here I am. I will do my part. I will do my part. I will take this seriously. And I will be a blessing in every way that you call me to be. When you do that, you know what? God will open up opportunities. He'll open up challenges for you. He'll call you to do things you couldn't imagine. And he'll bless you as you do them. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to Jacob. Thank you that you called him out of this sense of inferiority and exclusion and deceit. And you called him into integrity and covenant, wholeness, truth, mercy. You called him to be one of your beloved sons. And thank you that through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, you brought forth Messiah. And that through Messiah, together, we become one body, many parts, and each of us can do our part together. Thank you, Lord, for calling us into new life in Yeshua. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. If you didn't already get your children, they now have puppies. <laughs> in the spirit. <laughs> the Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Join us for coffee next door at the Shalom Center.